Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit What's up, Grizz Nation? Welcome to the show. Today, it is Kate's being joined with uh, EJ from, really, I think, one of the founders of the Grizz Grindhouse Spaces. Uh, if you haven't checked that out, uh, he's doing great work over on Twitter and the Twitter spaces, a, a very uh, important presence to Grizz Twitter. EJ, how you doing? Doing well, Miss Candice. How are you doing today? And uh, thank you for... Um, you know, shouting out the space and everything like that. Of course, of course. So we're just going to talk a little Grizz ball where we are right now. Um, It's been a pretty good few games for the Memphis Grizzlies as they are uh, 17 and 19 currently and won their second in the West and a half game back from first place. Um, They got an opportunity to potentially over this weekend even be in first place, depending on how the game against the Suns and Pelicans game on Sunday goes can determine the standings, but uh, the Grizzlies are essentially in a good place um, on this. They've been 3-0 streak. Um, so what we're going to do is kind of talk about our takeaways from each game, because I think there are definitely some to talk about. And so we'll start with the with the Miami Heat game um, that was played. Uh, it was basically the second night of a back-to-back. Um, they had just played Detroit uh, that Sunday, and uh, we didn't have any players, right, EJ? <laughs> All right. Um, you know, the the heat game coming off the back to back. Uh it was our first back to back uh victory this year um in both games. So that was good to see. Um yeah, it was just it was a weird game. It was one of those games where all our, our stars were out and everything like that. But once again, uh the Grizzlies way next man up. Uh these guys stepped up. They they went out there and uh and punched them in the mouth. Uh the Heat didn't really know how to respond, and uh, and our guys kind of just took it over at the in that fourth quarter and not let those guys uh, pull it away uh, on the Heat side. So that was a very good game, probably one of our best wins of the season, in my opinion. Yep. Now I, I was just about to say that I was like, for me, I think that's the most impressive win of the season, just because you had uh, you had Tyus, you had you, your starting lineup was pretty much Tyus, Roddy, Stephen Adams, Santi Adama, and and Dylan. And starting Roddy, I really didn't know how that was going to go, to be honest. That was, that made me a little nervous. But um, he, he played pretty solid ball. You know, he was able to stand and withstand kind of defensively, which was my biggest question with him starting in that game. Um, Tyus Jones dropped 28 points. So it was really good to see Tyus get going 28 points in 10 assists. It was a great game for him when I think he had, leading up to that game, struggled a bit. Yes, yes. Uh, he, yeah, like Tyus, he, he's just, he stones Jones. You know, this is where he gets the nickname from. Uh, to me, you know, he's kind of looked better as a starter. Like, uh, I know he was out there kind of looking for a starting role this summer and everything like that. Um, but he decided to go ahead and come back, stick around for a little bit longer. And, uh, you know, I couldn't be happier. Uh, I pushed a big agenda last year on bringing this guy back. Uh, it was between him and Kyle. Um, you know, I, I felt like we needed to have that backup point guard. Um, 
people don't remember, but the bubble, we were missing Tyus Jones. Uh, we had DeAnthony Melton as our backup point guard in the bubble, and we struggled mightily as a in the ball handling situations without him. So, yes, uh, I think, you know, it was very important for us to get him back this summer, and uh, that game against the Miami Heat is exactly why we needed him back because the games without Ja, anytime he has to sit out or anything like that or just the rest game, uh, we don't have to count it as a uh, what the NBA called a tank game. Right. Yeah, we don't have to count them as a tank game. So uh, having Tyus here, um, you know, and, and everybody else that pitched in that night, uh, this is like I said, it's just the Grizzlies way. Next man up. Yeah, for sure. And, and it was really great to see because I began to question if next man up was still going to be able to take effect just because the, the up until this game, Jod missed three games and they were 0 and 3 without job pretty much and you know it really just came down to getting your rookies more comfortable like getting David David right to the point where he can hold up defensively and do a better job of uh, not over helping that type of thing I mean they, they still have that habit but he's get, he's gotten a lot better in terms of staying in front of his man um defensive rotations and um one thing they've been working with him on is being an on-ball defender they sort of been giving him kind of like the Dylan Brooks assignment went off of the bench and you can see that starting to begin to play pay dividends because he's got with his physicality he's able to withstand um some of the more physical guys in the league and I, I think he's really growing and developing in that way any thoughts on on writing uh yeah um you know it was a lot of doubt like even from my standpoint and throughout the fan base uh about you know what what could Brody bring us uh you know you could see the defensive potential because he has the body side, like to keep guys in front of him and things like that. But uh, his feet weren't moving as quick. Uh, his, his lateral movement side to side wasn't all the way there yet or anything like that. And it's still probably not all the way there yet. But you can you can see the continuing um, development and uh, the, the foot speed is picking up very well. Um, he's learning how to not foul. Like, you know, he, he's not even fouling a lot. Uh, he's bodying up these guys on the perimeter. And, uh, yeah, um, big, big turnaround from David Roddy. You know, like, if you look through the rookies throughout their um, their rookie years, the the guys that we have had, uh, Jaron had a very good rookie year. Ja had a very good rookie year, of course. And then uh, you had guys like Bain. Bain didn't start his rookie year, but you could see the you could see the potential there. Uh, as a shooter and everything like that, he kind of had a Grayson Allen in front of him, but uh, we moved off of him and, and, and Bang had his opportunity. Uh, so, and then Zaire last year, you know, he, he didn't start out very well either. Um, it took what, a, like a little injury or a sickness or something that he had at the very beginning of the year last year. He got to sit over there, look at the game a little bit. I call Zaire the student of the, like a true student of the game. Whatever he sees over there um, while he's sitting out, he applies it to the game. And uh, that's what he did last year when he turned it around and everything like that. But right now, if I had to say, I think Dave Verratti is on track to be out of the guys that we've had over the last four or five years. He might sit third as in a, in a rookie class, like as far as rookie performances go. Uh, you know, like I said, you got Zaire right there. Um, Bain once again had a good rookie year, but I can't say he had like 
you know, a spectacular rookie year. So Zaire and Roddy, uh, I think we're going to be talking about their rookie seasons going forward and how they how they match up. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a very that's a very interesting point. I actually think you're right about that just because of how much progression he seems to be able to pick up on things pretty quickly. So I think you're you're right in, in terms of how fast they're gonna be able to progress their games. Um I think we'll we'll see that go into a fruition, which is great. And so speaking of Zaire, um the following game was the return of Zaire Williams. Finally, he was able to make his season debut uh Wednesday against the Oklahoma Oklahoma City at home. And it was just great to see him out there. Um he was able to play 18 minutes and uh he had the highest plus minus on the team. Um he just came he just came in and to me he just sort of flashed like you just you noticed when he was there, his athleticism on both ends of the floor, his length. Now you could just see how much he's grown Um, in terms of like, you know, like length, like he's actually taller than he was before. And you could just see him bother um, a lot of these uh, guards and fours, whoever he was switched on to, he was bothering them. Yeah, for sure. Um, In the group chat before that game, you know, the question was, uh, what is your expectation for Zaire? And, you know, people were just trying to keep him low or whatever. Um, but I told everybody, I was like, look, um, Zaire might not shoot well tonight. Like, the shots is going to be a little rusty. You know, that that just comes with it by sitting out. But I think he will sell in a lot of other areas, and that's exactly what he did in that game. Like you said, highest plus minus during that game, even only shooting, I think it was like two for nine from the field. Yep. Um, so yeah, he, he's going to continue to find ways to affect the game in other ways. Um, you know, they worked on this ball handling this summer, like they did Desmond Bain last summer. Uh, so I'm very excited to see what we get from that because, uh, even, uh, last summer, even rolling all the way into this year, you could definitely tell Desmond Bain's ball handling and, uh, the way that he attacks the rim has been a focal point for the team and him. I think that's somewhat why he has this toe injury now, you know, just doing a little bit more than what he used to do and, uh, a lot more stopping and stop, uh, stopping and starting. But, uh, yeah, I think Zaire is going to be the same way in a way. Like, I think we're going to be seeing him attacking the rim a little bit more um, defensively. Like you said, uh, you know, he's going to continue to be probably one of our best point of attack defenders that we even have on the team. Like, I know Dylan Brooks is probably our best perimeter defender, especially on the wings. But when it comes to guard play and point of attack, uh, Zaire's length and the way that he can move uh, is going to do wonders for us going forward. And that, that lineup of Z- uh, just the three of them, and they're they're working around Tyus and uh, BC right now with that lineup. But, yeah, the uh, Zaire, uh, Jaron, and Dylan lineup defensively is going to cause a lot of teams some problems. So if they can just get that offense right and Zaire gets a little bit more comfortable and that shot does start to fall, uh, that lineup right there, could be one of the lineups that takes us over the top, in my opinion. Yep, yep, and I 100% agree. And, and you talked about the, the the defense for Zaire. You know, I think he might give Dylan a run for his money in terms of perimeter defense this year, just because of his, his length. Um, I've just seen several times where his ability to just do a closeout compared to you know other players or even even Dylan. 
he's just able to bother that shot more because of because of his length when he does that closeout. And we'll see so far in this three-game stretch, they've held opponents to pretty much 35% or lower from three. Now we're talking about Miami, who who's not a good shooting team, OKC, who's not a great outside shooting team either, and the Pistons. So I think we'll learn more as we go for sure. But it's what's really great is, like you said, having those two play together and it leads to an amazing defense. And you, I, I have so much confidence that that the ball is going, that those shots are eventually going to fall for Zaire. Um, really what you wanted to know is the other areas he's grown in. And you talked about his uh, playmaking and how they work with him on that. His first game, he came out and had three assists. Um, and they were pretty, a couple of those are pretty, like, really nice pocket passes to BC. I was impressed with um, just the quickness with which he was able to make his decisions. I think more than anything, um, he was able to make such quick, decisive decisions when he was passing the ball. He, you didn't really see a lot of uncertainty for him. So if nothing else, you can just see that summer league experience helping him in that way because um, that's going to be really important um, for him not to have a lot of turnovers as he's trying to be a playmaker because um, that's one of the strengths of the bench, I feel, is you know being led by Tyus. Also, when it's when it's been led by Bain, it's been pretty efficient because, you know, Josh sometimes can have he can be turnover heavy some games. Um, And so you want to I bet want you want to have a bench that's going to be able to offset that. So that's just something else I took away from that game. But um, they've just been able to put together, I think, some really strong, decent defensive performances as a whole, as a group. Um, This is a game that. uh like, I don't know how we got this far talking about this game, and we didn't even mention it. This was a Jai's career game in terms of um, the most triple doubles in franchise history. Um, Jai finished the, the OKC game with 26 points, 11 assists, and 13 rebounds, which is pretty crazy. Uh, he came out rebounding like gangbusters those first few minutes and pretty much just built on it from that. Thoughts on a triple dub from Jai? Yeah, uh, real quick, though, um, one last point about that Heat game. Uh, Xavier Tillman, too. Uh, Xavier, as we're talking about defense, Xavier Tillman uh, stood up Bam Adebayo time and time again in that Heat game, uh, you know, in the post and everything like that. So shout out X because, uh, you know, I'm probably one of his biggest doubters. We call him Jaren's friend over there on the spaces <laughs> and uh but shout out to x for sure um uh, uh he definitely made sure uh he actually showed us why he continues to um get his playing time and be that feeling guy for when guys go down um in the front court and everything like that uh but yes um the thunder game job the triple double um you know breaking the franchise record for most triple doubles that's very impressive um, you know, Charles Barkley made his remarks earlier this year and everything like that. And ever since that moment, you know, I think Jai took it up on himself to make sure that he gets everybody involved. And uh, also Santi Aldama and John Conchar said after that Charles Barkley um, comment uh, that, you know, it's on them to hit the shots when they are um, getting the ball from Jai and everything like that. And from that point on, Santi Aldama and John Conchar for sure has been guys that constantly is just knocking down the three, you know, uh, very timely threes and everything like that. I don't want to say clutch, but when I say timely, I mean, you know, we could be up nine uh, in the second quarter, two minutes left going into halftime 
and and one of those two guys will put us up 12, you know, into the uh, halftime. So things like that uh, will win you basketball games. So shout out to those two guys for uh, putting it on themselves to help 12 out and uh, prove Charles Barkley wrong that, you know, John Morant makes everybody around him better. Yeah, and and we all knew that was ridiculous when Charles Barkley said that. Sometimes he just be talking just because he be talking. Um, and that's just another example of, of that. But he's been shooting out double doubles, you know, like like clockwork. It's been double digits. I, I really don't know if I recall a stretch where he's had this many double digit assist numbers. Um, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but this this really stands out to me in terms of a his playmaking and it does you know it's not just on him a lot of times he's making the plays and the guys gotta knock down the shots but it's just been clicking um so far what do you think that this sustains itself to well like over over the season where he might be averaging double digits assists are we talking about that or do you think it'll kind of simmer down at some point as we go throughout the season um if it's not double digits I think he can hang around you know the upper eight, like 8.9, uh, 9.6, somewhere around there. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, but I do think he's going to keep his assist numbers up. Uh, the team around him has just gotten better. Like everybody knows their role now. Uh, we have plenty of shooters. Uh, we're going to still see more lineups with Ja, uh, having a lot more shooters around him. Um, things like that. So, yes, I do think the the assist numbers will stay up. And uh, also the rebounding, too. You know, I, that was my one thing that I thought that job would improve on this year would be rebounding for the most part because we, we, we were going to need it, especially with Jaron out and uh, some other some other guys uh, missing and everything like that, lights out here. And uh, Ja actually has always been a really good rebounder. We just haven't called up on him to do it so much uh so yeah um the the assist numbers and the rebounding numbers i think will continue to either hover around where they're at now or improve just slightly okay yeah yeah i think i'd agree with that um i think those rebounding numbers you could see him begin to i just i just think he became more intentional about doing it i think you're right it wasn't necessarily required of him before so it wasn't like he never could it just wasn't something he focused on really trying to do he kind of let his teammates do that for him but now he's kind of taking it upon himself and you can see that in the playoffs last year i mean those timberwolves games where yeah he wasn't having a good offensive game he was still dishing out you know you, you basically saw a taste of this with him having double digit assists and him having uh you know, double-digit rebounds and, and getting triple-doubles is really when you first kind of saw him come along because he wanted to find other ways to contribute to this team. That's 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 just the kind of player that 12 is. And you're kind of seeing it carry over that same intentionality, mindset, habits, or that whatever that he formed when he started doing it more consistently then. Um, and you're just put, seeing it on display now. Um, it's great to see. It's great to see him continue to push himself, challenge himself to be, you know, the best version of himself, not just for his own stats, but you can tell he's generally doing it um, because that's what the team needs. Right. And, uh, yeah, like I said, uh, just let these guys continue to take it up on themselves to knock down those shots when given the opportunities. Um, <clears throat> I definitely can't wait for uh, Zaire and him to see the court a little bit more together um, yes. because, to me, I think Zaire is one of the guys 
in the NBA as a whole that runs the lanes better than just about anyone, um, especially on fast breaks and things like that. So um, the the lobs and everything like that is going to be exciting to see again, kind of like the Orlando game last year where him, Melton, and uh, Ja were all on a fast break together. And it was, you know, showtime. Um, even uh, I think even uh, Jaron actually ran a break with Ja last year and Zaire running the other lane. And, you know, the the Wizards actually chose Zaire to kind of take away or whatever. And then it was one of the nastiest finishes of last year with uh, Ja finishing with the windmill alley-oop dunk. So, yeah, it's going to be some of these teams is going to be uh, feeling it once they run up against these young Grizzlies because uh, these guys are very energetic. We're still very young. Uh, you know, without Danny Green, I think we would still probably be like second youngest team in the league. Right now we're sixth uh, with him. But, yeah, um, these teams are going to be worn out each and every night by this young Grizzlies team and the way that we're going to be playing defense, uh, outrunning, and outgunning um, the rest of these teams around the league. Can't wait till we get back to full health for sure. Yeah, and, and speaking of health, it's a good transition into talking about the news that we got right after the OKC game. We can still, if you got anything to add to that, we can still go back to it. But right after the OKC game is when we found out the news that uh, the update on Desmond Bain and his injury with his big toe. Um, they basically, they said it in addition to the right toe sprain that we knew about, it was also a... Uh, sesamoid injury i I believe that's how you pronounce it yes ma'am okay so the yeah sesamoid injury that he's experienced and uh he has started the revamping process so that's the good news he he has started that offloading process but it it is expected to take three to four weeks um and not just everybody was kind of expecting him to be returning around this time so to be an additional three or four weeks which means he will miss the christmas game um and, and and this is, they said in the report that it could be longer if his toe doesn't positively respond to the, you know, ramp up process. But, you know, it seems pretty optimistic that his, that his toe will respond positively. But that's where we are, man. Um, tough news. Tough news for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, I, you know, I was doing the space and everything like that as the news dropped um, and I was at work. So. You know, it, it took a while to process. Um, very disappointing because I don't know, like, as far as back as I can remember, this, you know, even back in the green grind era a little bit, uh, especially with, you know, the, our, our favorite person in the world, Chandler Parsons. Uh, <laughs> you know, like, it's just been injuries after injuries after injuries. Uh, even Justice Winslow, you know, he had some back problems after we made that trade. So, like, we never got to see this team with the supposed um, starting five that we, you know, are supposed to have. So, um, even the last four years with John Morant, with this new regime that we have, um, these guys just haven't been able to put a quarter of the season together healthy. Uh, and the reason why I'm always talking about it is because, like, I know these guys are very good and they're very skilled, like, even individually, but it still takes team chemistry and uh, being out there together to be able to fully form uh, to be a championship contender. You need to know where guys are going to be in spots, even when you can't see them. Like, 
you know what I'm saying? So, or leading guys to, to certain spots on the floor, um, without, you know, without, uh, it being the actual play call or something like that. So it, that, that's my reasoning for why I want a very good, uh, healthy starting five, but you know, we're going to continue to battle through it. Um, hopefully Desmond Bain gets fully recovered so he won't have to have any type of surgery or anything like that. And, uh, yeah, I think once again, I think our guys will chip in, continue to, um, play the way that they're playing. And John Conchar, he's been the one that has filled in these spots when Jaws been out, uh, while Bain's been out, um, Dylan Brooks missed what three games at the very beginning of the season. So John Conchar has been that starting piece. And, uh, you know, I, I constantly call him an 11th man and everything like that. But he's definitely shutting me up as well because, um, once again, he's continuously uh, hitting the timely three. His defense has picked up tremendously. Uh, going back to that Knicks game against Jalen Brunson at the end of that game, you know, his defense was the one that won us the game, not Dylan Brooks. So, uh, yeah. Shout out John Conchar, and hopefully we will get Bane back and nobody else gets like a hangnail or something. So they're out two weeks. <laughs> yeah, for, yeah, for sure. Um, I 100% agree. That's, that's been a, that's been the frustrating part of it. It's just, it's, you know, it's been a domino effect as soon as you think you're getting healthy, somebody else has gone down. So we really just got to hope that this is kind of the last of this, that Bane can come back. Like you said, we could at least get a consistent period of seeing this starting lineup together. Because I agree that chemistry is important. Um, there's also still delay on Jake LaRavia. He's still been out. And I think, you know, it's really unfortunate for him because I think from a standpoint of how this team is constructed without Bain right now, these would be really good opportunities for him to sort of, um, you know, help fill the role from three-point shooting and I know he was struggling coming back from being sick when he when he came back so he was in a little bit of a slump there but um it's unfortunate for him too that he's sort of missing out on these minutes um that 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 kind of are there um but was that was Zaire back you know it's maybe it's it's a little different but I still think that from a like I said just a three the shooting <laughs> excuse me a shooting perspective they kind of they they might miss that. But the positive news when it comes to Bain, I'll say this is it depends on his timeline. If he comes back within the three weeks mark, they said anywhere from three to four weeks. So if he's on the more optimistic side of that, um it, uh, I got I heard Keith from Fast Bake Breakfast, a grits and grind podcast. If you don't listen to that, um he mentioned that that will only be eight games because of how spaced out the Grizzlies games are over these next three weeks. They only play um, eight games from now to there, um, which is pretty optimistic. But if he doesn't come on the three mark, three week mark, if it's more the four week mark, that will be more like 12 games. So there's a a really big difference, you know, depending on when exactly he's going to come back. And hopefully he'll be close to only missing the eight games. Um, because I think at that point, the schedule will start to get a little bit tougher and that's when you, you know, you're paying them more, the more elite teams. You won't bang back for those, for sure. Yeah, I think the eighth game would be um, the Pelicans game, New Year's Eve, right mm-hmm. after the Christmas Day game against uh, against the Warriors. So, yeah, it would be it would be nice to get him back in that stretch right there. Uh, yeah. And like you said, it is a, a big difference between 
nine games and 12 or eight games and 12 games missed. Like I know numbers wise, it don't seem like it, but yeah, when you're talking about games and everything like that, that you could win uh, or lose, it could make a big difference, especially as tight as the West is right now with the standings. And the way that, you know, that that's going to be basically four games and probably five games with us in five days. Sounds like it's going to be really one of those, you know, in a week, you're going to be playing an extra four games. So you need that depth. I think just to, um, just to kind of withstand those periods, you want as many people healthy for that as you can get. And if that eighth game is that Pelicans game, I can see them, you know, they generally don't bring people back on the first night of a back to back more than likely he might then come back on that second game. So I would guess maybe the ninth, the ninth game. Um, and that would that would be fair. I guess I could, you could live with that. But um, I agree. In that time frame, that would be that'd be great. That's what we're hoping for. Uh, anything? Yes, you ma'am. To, you want to add anything about that OKC game? Um, I'm trying to think. Oh, uh, that was the game. Uh, we didn't get tripped going at all at first. You know, he didn't touch the ball until the second quarter. Um. Uh, I know we're going to discuss it a little bit later about some of our, uh, what we really like to see and what we don't like to see. But um, just to foreshadow that a little bit, that's the one thing I'm going to continue to push. Ja and Jaren, chemistry, uh, bond on the court, can't be broken, you know, things like that. Like that that's something that I still need to see. And that game right there against OKC Thunder, even though Ja ended up with a triple-double, and uh, and Jaren did get going later in that game. Um, I still believe that it should be on J- uh, on Ja and then Jaren to to tell Ja or whatever he needs to do with Ja. Um, let's get me involved, man. Like I need touches in the post when I'm posting up and things like that. Like not a not a uh, not a touch at the top of the three in the second quarter and my first bucket. You know, it's going downhill. Like, you know, it's good and all, but at the same time, Jaron Jackson Jr. could be a very key piece to us going over the top, and it's going to take 12 and 13 to make that happen. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, it's it's one of those strange things where as close as they are off the court, they just haven't figured out that chemistry on the court. Um, it's just something they continue to struggle with, and I don't know – Part of it is, I think, Josh's mindset. When they made the trade for J, uh, to trade JV to the Pelicans and get Stephen Adams in return, it was with the thought that Ja would have to not worry about post touches as much. And I wonder how much of that goes into, and his understanding of that goes into his neglecting the paint now. Because while, you know, you don't want this team ran through the post by any means, there are so many opportunities where, Steven Adams or Jaron Jackson. I can't even understand like bypass and Steve-O just because if he gets fouled, he's probably not going to be able to make those free throws. But from the Jaron Jackson Jr. perspective, that's not really a concern. So you want to try to get him in the paint. And there's been times where he's called for, he's called for the ball, whether in the paint or on the perimeter, because he now has the ability to attack off the dribble and get inside and sort of dominate a little bit more than he did last year. Um, so either way, even if it's even if it's not a post touch, just get a get the guy touches because he's gonna be able to find a way to score. Um, and I just think it's really Ja looking for it. It doesn't seem like he sees to he just he's so used to 
you know, throwing out to the perimeter or kick out, you know, drive and kick out that he's just, I don't know if he's missing it or I don't know what, but, but I, they really do need to work on that. The good news is I've heard Taylor Jenkins mention that. Um, it, it, We'll talk about this a little bit in the Pistons game, but it's something that he mentioned post-game after the Pistons game yesterday and talking about these teams switching on them and basically needing to take advantage of the mismatch with Jaron in the paint. And so if the coach is emphasizing it more, hopefully we'll be able to see more improvement in that area. Yes. Um, but, yeah, we can get to the Pistons game. Okay. Um, but, yeah, that Thunder game, another good win. Um, and another nice team win. Uh, that's, you know, we're on a five-game win streak uh, as we're getting to this Pistons game. Uh, five-game win streak. So, um, and I think all these wins have been team wins. Everybody has contributed in, in the most way. We haven't had to call 12. Uh, we haven't missed Bain as far as being the closer that he was uh, – beginning to be at the beginning of the season and everything like that. So, yeah, just uh, as, a, as a whole team and a whole unit, these guys, these past five games have all chipped in. And, uh, you know, I know a lot of plus-minus people out there and everything like that, but I haven't looked at the plus-minuses, but I'm sure we've had a lot more pluses uh, with the guys on the roster than minuses over these past five games. That is 100% true. I'm looking at them now. So, yeah, I mean – I think in the, in the Heat game, you had two people in negative. Nobody was negative against OKC. And um, you had a few bench players in the negative against the Pistons. But um, the general trend is, you are correct, overall, it has been more plus than minuses. And you're right about the contributions from, from everybody. It really has been team wins. And I think I want to attribute that mostly to everyone's improved defense. Um, a lot of that has to do with Jaron. They cannot be neglected, but Jaron can't be on the court at all times. And it seems like, or I think early on in those first few games when Jaron came back, there was a distinct difference between when Jaron was off the court and when he was on the court in, teams, in terms of the other team would make a run. And, and that's, that still happens from time to time, but it you can just see, like you mentioned, Conchar has improved on defense. David Roddy has improved on defense. So it just doesn't fall off the rails and I think that's contributed to them not having to, like you said, call 12 or um, when Bang was kind of having to pull it out of the end. It was just because the defense, they couldn't get stopped. They couldn't, they couldn't, you know, stop anybody at any, at any point. And so you had these close games where you basically had to dang their shootout in order to win the game. And, and now they're, they're winning more on the defensive end as a team. And, uh, yeah, also with Trip going out of games and everything like that, uh, you know, Santi has actually been very good as a rim protector this year. Uh, you know, uh, he it's not very pretty on the perimeter when he has to go guard on the wings, but anytime he's helped defending in the paint, uh, that guy has been very, very good. Um, so shout out to Santi Aldama because I think he actually is a big part of that for that bench unit. Um when Jaron does get, go out of games, uh, you still have somebody behind you at the rim that can protect it. So everybody isn't helping as much anymore. Um, we're, we're not giving up as many threes. It's still, it's still not to where it needs to be, but you, you could definitely see, uh, it's starting to get less and less three point shots, uh, hit on us because that was really the big, big concern early on. 
especially wide open threes. That's really, even if they do hit threes on us, they generally not wide open the way they was wide open before. Cause I used to just wonder like, what, <laughs> what was the plan there? Like those rotations used to be atrocious at times, but it is, it is definitely improved. And yeah, I definitely, I'm thank you for bringing it up. Cause I wanted to talk about Santi because he's had double digit points in two out of three games. And even this last game against the Pistons, he had nine points. It wasn't quite double digits, but um, he's just been a huge part of why this team has been able to go on this win streak. It's been, he's adjusted well to the bench. You didn't know how he would go from, you know, starting to going to the bench. Some players become, you know, when they get less opportunities, they're not as efficient, but he's been very efficient Um, in his opportunities. um, He's been able to go within the flow of the offense. Like you said, his defense has been there. Um, He's just been all around. He's been great for this team and it gives his ability to shoot the ball his ability to to rim protect is gives so much versatility I think to that bench unit um I mentioned this I I tweeted out about this the possibility of 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 the lineups between um Santi Adama and Jaron Jackson Jr um they haven't done it much but it's plus 25 when they have done it and so that's something you can play around with um throwing Zaire in there they give you so much length and so many options come playoff time so it's just exciting to see him take advantage of these opportunities to still um be a huge contributing member for the bench um even though he's not starting anymore and you know that I I I have confidence that he's going to be able to contribute in the playoffs to this team similar the way that Zaire did Zaire was able to you know the moment wasn't too big for him and just from what I've seen from Santi and his mindset he just kind of seems to have a you know a little bit of a swagger about him Santi you know he got a little bit of a fight to him so I think he can um he can be huge for this team going forward yes ma'am and uh speaking of last night too um Jaron Jackson uh you know on both sides of the floor last night he was the best player on the floor like there was no question about it um this guy uh as a doubter in, in me um from last season even in the uh, all season with him not being able to work out and everything like that um you know I can't really say that his game has improved like you know there's not certain things that he just got a whole lot better at but his mindset his whole mindset has just changed um he it just seems like he feels like nobody can guard him out there um he's gotten a lot better um a lot smarter defensively about fouling uh he's not getting the bad whistles too because some of that was bad whistles last year uh, and things like that but yeah the guy um he he's definitely got his mindset focused right now on uh there's not a lot of guys that can stop me I'm gonna post you up if my guys don't get me the ball I'm gonna demand the ball um and uh and rebounding too like even if he's not getting those uh post-entry passes or anything like that he has found a way to kind of come in diving in from the corners or anything like that and grabbing offensive rebounds uh defensively he's picked it up uh rebounding as well so yeah um jaron jackson jr last night uh that that was a game right there where he was clearly the best player on the floor Yep, and I, I agree. And 
I, I I hope that they begin to feature him more because he has been. I, I would argue that because of his change in mindset, you have seen an uh, increase in his game. Like, I don't believe he was, he didn't have post moves. So he really, he would always uh be, be more prone to turnovers or travels when he was trying to post somebody up just because he wouldn't take that extra dribble to kind of gather that, you know, power dribble that he needs in order to be able to, uh, really get to the basket so you see his efficiency has gone up from two like last night he was eight of 12 um you see that continuing I think uh he I do think he worked on that jumper because he does less of a push off in his, in his release when he's shooting the ball and it's it's still it's still wonky his three point his three point shot I think that's always gonna be that but it's closer to where it was you know his rookie year like he was three from five last night from the three-point line um, you can just see that confidence and uh and technique. I, I'd say because you gotta have tech. His shot looks different. He doesn't push off nearly. He doesn't he's, he used to almost throw himself into the shot when he was shooting last year. Um, I'd say the the you said the fouling that's a big thing and that was pretty much all mental, but that was huge for him because he wasn't able to stay on the court. So then you see all his other production go up. Um, he is more intentional about rebounding. Um, all around, he's he's just been really impressive. It was so frustrating in that OKC game is to go back to that, watching them kind of ignore him, knowing that if you just feed this man, that that it takes you and pretty much can get you the game because he just there's nobody that can stop the guy. Um, the one person who has been consistent about feeding Jaren is Ben Dillon, and you can see Dillon's been getting assists because of it. Oh, most definitely. Uh, Dylan Brooks, man, like the guy, the other guy that, you know, all of us kind of was worried about going into the season and everything like that, rolling off the the um, Warrior series. And this guy has bought in. Uh, you know, that that's another reason why I would like to see us fully healthy. So we can, like right now, Dylan Brooks, for the mo- majority of the season, still has kind of been, second option, third option, some nights, things like that. And uh, that's why I need to see us fully healthy because I'm not going to hold it. Like Dylan Brooks is a fourth option, fully healthy. Uh, You got John Morant, Desmond Bain, Jaron Jackson Jr. That's your your three top dogs. Uh, You know, it's it's questionable on Jaron's offense side and everything like that. But like you said, uh, it's been Dylan that has made it the focal point to get Jaron the ball down low. So Dylan will fall back into that fourth option. And uh, that's where we need to see how he really has bought into this team. Uh, like I said, right now, he's kind of still been that second, third option in a way. But uh, how is he going to feel? And what what kind of shot selections are we going to see as a fourth option, Dylan Brooks? That's a great point. And, and when he was a third option, when it was Jabane and and then him, he was doing a pretty good job of buying in. But like you said, with him being that fourth option, that does change things. And do you get, you know, the things get more complicated. That's another, it's another great point because another reason why I want to see the team get healthy is because I want to see how they're, how intentional they're going to be about making sure Jaron still gets the shots that he needs. Um, Because, you want to make sure that he's still a part of this offense. I want to hope that the, my hope is that the OKC game doesn't happen all the time when it's Bain and Jaron. And right now, Jaron has opportunity to get 
a lot of those touches in the OKC game, especially, but even in the Pistons game, when it's the second unit and it's basically Dylan and Jaron, and they're kind of with their second unit, Dylan's feeding Jaron, and that's how he's getting a lot of those touches to get, you know, involved in the game. But it used to be Bane running that unit. So I'm curious as to how they're going to level that out if they're still going to have Jaron run with that second unit and just keep more Bane and Jaw together. Um, do you have any thoughts on that, by the way? Yeah, um, I was actually thinking about this last night. Um, you know, I, I'm all for, like, trying trial and error type things in the regular season, right? Especially the way that we're sitting right now, you know, um, second in the West currently. Uh, like I said, I know it's very tight in the West right now, but, uh, you know, I think we're still good. Uh, but, yeah, we need to just kind of figure out how – or Taylor Jenkins just needs – the the lineups out there so he can balance uh the powers um and everything like that like for me the way i kind of seen it uh right now uh you can get i think it's very important to try to get uh dylan brooks and jaron jackson jr going first halves you know like you said uh like dylan he he's actually been pretty good starting out games and everything like that uh, yeah. Was it the OKC game where he kind of had like seven to nine points yeah. right yeah. out the gates? Yep. Think okay. So. so, so yeah, you get those two guys started early uh, and everything like that, keep them engaged into the game. And the reason I say that too is because I just feel like Ja and uh, Bane have developed themselves into being able to take over games whenever called upon you know uh even last night Jaw didn't have a great game at all but that third quarter even the third quarter of the uh thunder game um those are been his his best quarters you yeah. know um and i just think like uh that's just something that Taylor jenkins is just trying to do right now uh while bane is out trying to figure out uh, the points in the game where I need certain guys to step up the biggest. So once again, um, just trying to find that balance of, uh, from what I've seen so far, at least, uh, Dylan Brooks and Jaron Jackson Jr. getting started first halves, uh, get them going early. If Dylan Brooks does cool off, um, you know, he's even, I think from my standpoint that I've seen, uh, he, even if he cools off a little bit, he's actually, um, starting to work the other guys in a lot quicker than what he would used to. Uh, he might go 0 for 10 and a quarter uh, in the past or something, but if he goes 0 for 4, I think he starts looking for Jaron down low or uh, starts swinging the ball a little bit quicker and things like that this year. So it's just little things like that that people have to pay attention to with Dylan and not so much of his individual numbers like, uh, his inefficiency and things like that. Like, just look at the total, the totality of the game. Uh, when was he taking those shots, uh, that he was missing? If they were in the first half and then in the second half, he only shot the ball twice, that means he was swinging the ball more. So that's still an effective game. That's winning basketball, in my opinion. Yeah, I'd agree. And he has progressed. You know, sometimes you'll see him revert back. Um, like uh the that heat game was a poor example of that. Uh, in that heat game, he really shoved up some shots that he should have just left alone at late in that game. But for the most part, I, I agree with you. Um, you can at least see he's trying to, right? Like I still think it's one of those things that it doesn't come natural to Dylan, 
But I mean, it's all the, the guy. That's all you can ask him to do. I mean, you can't build a habit overnight. But you just see him trying to be less tunnel vision in those moments and pay attention. You know, be more aware of how he's doing at night, and not just chucking up sh- shots blindly. And in the Heat game, in his defense, you know, there weren't a ton of other options. You, Dave, variety other guys like that. You aren't. You know, they aren't. They aren't going to take those shots. So. Even then, it was understandable why he was doing that. And hopefully he can continue to grow in that area because that's huge for this team. The biggest question on Dylan is, can he buy into the role that the Grizzlies need of him? Or is he just too, I don't know what the word is, tenacious, not tenacious, but um, erratic, something like just an erratic player. I know some people call him selfish and things like that, but, you know, Dylan has always been Memphis. Like since he's been here, he's even spoken out against guys that were here that didn't really want to be here, things like that. So uh, I don't think Dylan is that selfish. Sometimes they can pop up like that on the court. But, uh, you know, when we talk about the heart and soul of teams, Dylan Brooks has definitely been the heart and soul of this next gen era. For sure. No doubt. No doubt. And I, 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 I'm I, always of the belief that Dylan is selfish by nature, but that he doesn't want to be. That's my theory. He doesn't want to be. His instinct is sometimes tunnel vision and blind. Like in, in a situation, that's sort of his gut like response. But he seems to really want to be what this team needs him to be. And you can see him trying to be better in those areas. Sometimes it's going to pop out because that just, I think that's him reverting back to what he knows. But um, the more he tries to be better, and he, it, I'd say he's really only been intentional about it. I say more this year, some spots last year, but it's not been a ton of time where they've really asked him to taper it down, right? Where it was clear that Desmond's the guy over you, and it was clear that Jaren's the guy over you. That hasn't really, I mean, it started developing itself last year, but um, it's not been a ton of time. So let's just. I wish I wish he this wasn't his last year in the final contract because they kind of make a decision on him and and what you'd like to see is you know over time can he can he grow in it? But anyway, um, we'll we'll see how that goes. They're winning in the meantime. I'm liking what I'm seeing from him, and I'm gonna praise him when he's good, Dylan, and I'm gonna call him out when he's bad, Dylan. So I'm gonna give him his praises lately. He's been doing he's been doing well. Um. So let's just talk about just as we wrap up here, sort of our general takeaways in this three. Three and span. Um, there's a lot to be excited about, and you know I do think there has some have been some things to be concerned about. But let's start out with, um, what's been most exciting to you so far over this three game stretch? Um, over these last three games, it's Jaron Jackson Jr. Once again, uh, as the guy that you know doubted so much this off season and everything like that. Um, and just hearing some of the noise about. You know, he, he shoots too many threes. His, his three-point percentage has gone down every year, things like that. Um, this guy has just been the most impressive to me. Mindset um, is right where it needs to be. And uh, even at the last night, um, he, he said that this still isn't the best version of himself. He still has another level to go. And uh, hearing that from Tripp, uh, you know, it just it's very special to me. Uh, so he's the guy that I think could just help us get over the top, 
Uh, it's not all about the offense, I know, but uh, just continue to uh, play smart defense, uh, stay on the floor without the fouls, um, you know, continuous, continuing not to dip that shoulder uh, on the offensive side into somebody's chest so he doesn't get a lot of offensive fouls. So, yes, uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. has been the most impressive uh, in my opinion, over the last three games. And then as far as the whole team goes, um, just continuing to knock down shots when called upon. Uh, you know, uh, once again, John Conchar and Santi Aldama, the day after the Charles Barkley comments came out and said, it's on us to make sure that uh, that the world sees that John makes his teammates better. And those guys specifically those two guys uh has done that um knock down the shots when Jai is driving and he kicks it out to them uh Tyus Jones filling in one of these games um in the last three games showing why he um got the bag that he got Brandon Clark too we haven't even talked about Brandon Clark uh Brandon Clark looks his best with Jaren Jackson Jr. out there on that court and these past three games has definitely highlighted that yeah, 17 points last night. He had an incredible game against the Pistons. And then the what was the Thunder game or the Heat game? He also had what double double figures in scoring as well. If I'm correct, 11 against the Heat, and is that at 17? Oh, I was OKC game. He had another 17 against OKC. Yep. So it's so yep. back games. It's been his best games. Yep. Like I said, just him. Jer- we call Jaren's friends, Brandon Clark and, and Xavier Tillman. And like I said, both of those guys has definitely looked a lot better, a lot more comfortable uh, as Tripp has been back. So um, just, you know, credit to the front office once again for not listening to us and everybody, all the noise, and uh, just continuously trusting these guys to uh, continue to build the chemistry on and off the court. Yeah, I just got to piggyback off that Jaren, that Jaren comment, because I, you know, I talked a lot about Jaren in my previous two podcasts. I'm not going to go too far in because I've been I've been shining the praise heavy on Jaren Jackson. But uh, right now, I think he would lead the league in block shots. He's played 10 games. so I'm wondering he should be eligible to be on the official ESPN block list. But I didn't see his name under points. So I got to go back and double check that when I was looking at his uh the scores on ESPN, but anyway, um, he's making a case for all-star. I just got to say, he's looking like a defense player of the year. He is looking like a all-star candidate. And I really hope that the Grizzlies can maintain this positioning standings in the West because if they can, it even so, even more so improves his chances of getting that because they generally give the top teams, you know, at least a couple of those guys, um, get a, you know, a second look at all-star chances. And right now, there are a few that I could think of that are less serving. Like, I mean, AD, of course, the ball now is Zion, but then, like, to me, it's true. Yeah, Jokic. I mean, you got three right there. Jokic, AD, Zion. Um, It's going to be hard to kind of battle against those guys. Zion could be funky because, you know, he he does miss games as well, but everybody knows, you know, he's – He's yeah. an NBA darling right now, so sure. and he does put up the points, so it'd be kind of hard to keep him out. But he can go; he can still cut in as, as a reserve, though. I think that that spot for sure is he should get that. Right, and uh, 
Yeah, like um, I, I think you got like a Sabonis out there, maybe Laurie marketing. But yes, uh, if, if Trip continues to play the way that he's been playing, um, there shouldn't be much doubt at all that he could end up on that uh All Star roster for sure. And uh, you know, I just want to make sure that everybody understands that you know the NBA is still narrative driven in a way, um, uh, and things like that. So. Yeah. Uh, it's going to take all of us, the media, um, the media members out there, uh, our beat writers, um, and then the fans to, to retweet, like, uh, yeah. you know, talk about these, this guy as much as possible. Um, because if we're not, you know, the, the landscape of the NBA fans and everything like that would not be able to see Jaron Jackson Jr. impact on the basketball court. Yeah. I'm already, I'm already ready to go to war in the threads. I'm ready. I'm ready for it. <laughs> but uh, for me, my most exciting thing of, of this stretch has been uh, Zaire, the return of Zaire Williams, um, just because I really wanted to see the second unit begin to blossom. It's really important for this second unit to be a strength of the team, especially given, you know, how in and out um, we that we have been with our starters, not really not having any time seeing our starting lineup together. So, um, Zaire just pops, man, he just pops off the screen to me. I, I I just love watching his athleticism. I think it was missed. With this team, the way it's constructed this year, there is less athleticism on it, especially on that second unit, um, than there was before. And so I think seeing that as another dimension, I think their transition offense is about to peak. Like you said, I hope he gets more minutes with Jai just because you can see that that two-man game, him running the floor. He's excellent at that. Um, but more impressively, I know I'm, his offensive rating right now is 93.3. That's not where you want it, but his shot is going to fall. The shot looks good, really. Um, he seems, too, to be – we didn't mention this when we were talking about Sonny, but the no-dip um, shot that we've seen going around from Santi – He's been a really want the one to make a signature, but I actually saw Zaire try it a couple times. It just the shot didn't go down for him. But um, Santi's introduced this new like catch it high and he without without letting his arm fall, he'll just like shoot it in the air. Um, so I, I wonder if it's being coached up or not. Especially it's, it seems to be more the guys who have that length anyway. It's basically an unbuckable shot. If um, if Zaire can. Can master that same move. That's gonna be, woo. That's gonna be. That's gonna be thrilling. Yeah, that that the no dip three is crazy. Like yeah. uh, when he when he shot that the other night, uh, Santi. I you know I was like, man, what did I just see? Uh, but maybe it's something they worked on together uh, as they spent time in Spain together. Uh, those two guys, you know, were rookies together, drafted together and everything like that. And they spent the summer with each other in Spain, uh, where Santi is from. So uh, maybe it's a coach over there that worked with them on that. I'm not sure. But uh, whatever it may be, as long as it continues to go down, uh, I'm all for it. Because like you said, at that length uh, and size, um, possibly uh, Zaire being six ten now, and then uh, Santi being seven foot seven one. Yeah, that's an unblockable shot, and you can't really affect it much by just putting a hand up. Nope, not at all. So that's 
that would be a great shot to see. You know, if they can master it in the, in the regular season, that's going to be lethal in the playoffs. I mean, uh, I'm getting I'm getting hyped. So, but so it's not just the offense that I you know I think that'll grow for Zaire. That's not really been there yet. Um, at least from a scoring perspective. But his defense, I talked about it again. Um, it's a small sample size, but you know, right now, in the, in the, even though he struggled a little bit more in this Pistons game from last night, he still has a defensive rating over those two games of eighty-eight point two. Um, you can see his usage rate going up a little bit more. It's at fourteen percent um, last year, and this year it's almost seventeen percent. It's a small bump, but it's just you know, I mean, he's only getting small minutes. So right now, that's pretty. Um, it's pretty incredible to see him continue to grow and build on that. For me, I'm just super excited about that, to have that extra shot creation ability on the floor. It seems like it'll be natural to him. I don't know. I think it'll be a little bit later in the year, maybe after the All-Star break, before we see maybe his self-creation. I haven't seen as many flashes of his self-creation, like off the dribble yet, but I have seen just his assist ability and decision-making in that. Like, that seems to be, like, in place. He He can, like hit the hit the floor running with that uh, ability so anyway um I just want to see more of that and with that plus Roddy's being improved this bench can go back to being one of the best benches in the league um which is which is awesome yeah and it's been interesting to see Roddy first off the bench over Zaire Uh, I do think it's going to change but um Roddy is putting pressure on on some of these guys for for minutes, like you said earlier with Jake. Um, you know he's he's still dealing with some injuries and things like that, and it's going to be very tough for him to work his way back in. Uh, yeah. And you did say that it, this would have been a good time for him because uh, while Bane is out, because we do need that shooter. But yes, uh, David Roddy, man, like. Uh, he's been the first one off that bench so far. I'm not sure how long that will continue, but, uh, you know, we'll see what Jenkins wants to do with that going forward. And it's going to be very interesting because I I really do feel like these these guys want to give David Roddy as much opportunity as possible. And on top of that, he's earning it uh, very well right now. I'll say this. The, at first, I was offended watching the watching Roddy check in first, but I think the way they're doing it, if they're going to continue to do it, I think I'd actually be okay with it because what it does is, is it allows for Zaire to be to play more in the fourth. And it, I don't know, I can't remember if he's closed. I know he closed um, his first game back against OKC. I can't remember if he closed against the Pistons. Do you remember? Um, no, I don't think he did, but that's right. They brought they brought the starters back to finish that one. Yeah, yeah, they did. Okay, okay. But um, if he's gonna be able to be right now, he's had more minutes, even though he did not close yet. We played sixteen minutes. Roddy played fifteen, even though Roddy was the first one to check in. So it looks like they, it's just a timing thing to get Zaire more playing with Jai in that fourth. And if that's the case, I think I'm okay with it. Like in theory, you want to see. Zaire off the bench first, but you know, if he's going to get more minutes at the end of the day, and if he's going to be able to be play more with Zion that fourth quarter, then I'd rather have him there than Roddy there at that time. Yeah, I agree. Yep. So, all right. So those are things excited about that that we are excited about. But 
if there was a negative to pull from this three game when it's, it's really a five game when it's three, but these past three games, for me, um, it's going to be free throws. I just, the free throws, it started to get better. We've seen, it's been a frustration all year long of these long stretches of just like 60% free throw shooting, barely 70% free throw shooting. I don't understand why it's so much of a challenge. It was a challenge last year, but it was a challenge and they'd be at like 70%. This year, we're seeing more games like last night's game. They were, they shot 53% on their free throws. That's terrible. And Steven Adams did not, well, he had two free throw attempts, but it wasn't because of Steven Adams. They can't, they can put that, they can't put that on him. Um, just tough to see. This is going to be so important in the playoffs where, as good as they are, you're not going to be able to dominate in the playoffs. You're going to need to be able to make free throws to keep these games close. And an alarming trend is, for me personally, it's not happening in these three games, but, uh, well, maybe it has actually, but John missing free throws in the fourth, like him being tired and missing free throws. It used to be last year that he was poor in free throw shooting, but then in the fourth quarter, he'd make his shots generally for the most part. More often than not, you could depend on him when like when the game was online to make it. And that hadn't been the case, which is exactly why with you hinting at EJ with Bane being a better closer because Ja hadn't been able to make those shots, those free throw shots lately. And um that's my number one concern right now for the team. Yeah, um, I mean, if if you're looking at the three game sample size, two of those games we shot a hundred percent from the free throw line at 80% from the free throw line. So, actually, that's really good. Uh, but, as you said last night, we're down back down to the 50s. So, like, that's just unacceptable, uh, you know, being Memphis, uh, being a Memphis fan and everything like that. Of course, the free throw line has always been our, our nemesis. Uh, so, yeah, I don't, I don't know what these guys are going to have to do. I don't know if they're just going to have to uh, – maybe they're going to have to – like condition first like get like super tired in practice and then go shoot some free throws because clearly just shooting free throws in practice and getting it done uh and they're just missing more of them when they're tired late in games things like that especially job uh like you said and that's definitely my biggest concern with him like bro you gotta you got as the leader of this team uh, the focal point of this team, the the main ball handler of this team, you're you're gonna have to knock down shots late in games. You're just gonna have to. If you can't, you're gonna have to figure out a way to let somebody else take up, uh, be able to handle the ball late in games or something like that. Because, uh, you know, it, it'll come a playoff time where teams are just gonna foul you. So you'll have to go to the free throw line. So yes, I I agree. The free throws. Is, is the biggest concern. Uh, of course, Steven Adams hurts us a lot there, but um, he hasn't shot too many free throws lately. So, yeah, um, so yeah, they just, it's a focus thing. And uh, I think it's just them being tired. So once again, if they need to go run a few laps and then shoot the free throws in practice, do something like that. But something there needs to change. And uh, it's going to be Taylor Jenkins and these guys to get it worked on. Yeah, for sure. It's especially like you said in Josh's case, like his game is getting to the rim. So I mean, you you can't have your game be, get to the rim and then not be able to knock down a shot. Like 
You know what I mean? Like at that point, I agree with you. Either you need to, to get better out ball movement and, and create a play where you can come off and just catch and shoot or something more. But that's not his game, you know. So I hopefully, I mean, I have faith he can improve in that area. I just want to see it sooner than later. I don't want to get to the halfway mark, and this is still an issue, you know, with these late game free throws, particularly from Ja, because we've seen him be the opposite of this. And I, I mean, if I had a pick, I'd rather choose the opposite of this, where he, if I had, you know, where when it's close to the game and, and games on the line, you can make them. That that's the preferred option if you can't be consistent, you know, throughout the game. But anyway, what's what's what you uh you sort of hinted at one of your bigger concerns um with Trip. So yeah, that's my um that's my biggest concern still is just the the twelve and thirteen. Uh, I, I I'm gonna continuously believe it and say it. These two guys are gonna have to develop a bond on that court that just can't be broken. Like night in night out, when those two guys step on that court. Uh, you, I, you know, fear is a strong word. I don't, it, it doesn't have to be fear, but they need to have, you know, put something onto that next team to make them say, Oh man, we got John Moran and Jaron Jackson Jr. showing up tonight. Uh, we got to look out for these two guys right here. We have to make sure that we're focused, uh, rotationally on these two guys. We have to focus on, uh, the way that they're, they're trying to figure out, um, where they need to be out on the, on the floor and everything like that. So, um, yeah, that chemistry between those two, um, just needs to strengthen up a little bit more. Uh, like I said, just even the eye contacts on the floor with each other needs to pick up and everything. Like you said earlier, these guys love each other off the basketball court. You could tell it like the chemistry is so strong. Like these guys absolutely love each other off that basketball court, but on the court, it just, you, you, you just can't say that, uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. and John Morant as a duo is like, you know, tops of the league or anything like that so yes that's still my main concern and will continue be continuously be my concern until you know I see a little bit different um like I said just just some eye contact things or just letting each other know hey uh seeing John point to Jaren like hey uh if I go left this way I need you to fade out to the right that way things like that so nothing too too big just like I said just looking like a, a duo on the basketball court yeah and I think it and those are the things that can make a difference between how far you go in the playoffs or not so I mean it is a small thing and that's that's for sure but it's big when you're talking about you know can this can this team win a championship um I even saw that translate even if there's this moment and I don't it stands out to me as an illustration of just where they are uh Jai's in the Jai's in the corner. Uh, basically, two guys come up and Jaren comes up to try to screen, and there's this awkward kind of interaction where Jaren's trying to figure out where Jai wants in terms where he wants him to be setting the screen, and I think Jai just kind of eventually just weighs it off. They just they basically just don't make it work. I think I don't, it looked like I was there in person, so to me it looked like Jai was a little frustrated. In any way, they continue the, with the play, but it's just, you could just see that they, they're, Jaren's having a hard time figuring out what Ja wants from the screen and Ja trying to figure out what Jaren's doing on the screen. 
And that's the kind of thing where, I, I mean, I w- it was good to see in the way of that's an example of, hey, this needs to be worked on. Hopefully you can see those moments more because it's, it it's going to look awkward as they work through it. But hopefully you can continue to see that, to know that they're working through those things on the court because you can't do it any other way. Yes, and uh, you're right. Like, driveways off Jaren screens more, or if it's like a, um, you know, a double screen at the top or a stagnant screen at the top with uh, Steve-O and Jaren, like, Jod will always go Steve-O's way. So, um, of course, Steven Adams sets the best screens and everything like that. So it it makes sense, but at the same time, um, once again, 12 and 13, those are the two guys that's going to bring us the championship. Uh, it's been a huge blessing that we did get a guy like Desmond Bain and a guy that uh, has stepped up in being the, uh, a closer that he has uh, become at the beginning of the season, everything like that. But I'll continuously say 12 and 13. That, that, that will help Memphis get to the championship level that we need to be at. Right, right. And what's exciting is the Grizzlies are in the place they're at. They are second in the West. Like I said, a half game back of first place uh, right below the New Orleans Pelicans right now. And there's still room to grow. There's still room for them to get better. There's still room for them to get healthy. And uh, so the ceiling on this team this year is just very high. And so it's an exciting season. Um, EJ, appreciate you being on, man. Really appreciate you taking the time to talk some Grizz basketball with me. Uh, Why don't you tell people where they can find you? Um, yeah, y'all can find me. Uh, my personal account is uh, at EJ2K19 on Twitter. Uh, and also, of course, uh, at Spaces Grizzlies. Uh, I run the Spaces account over there and everything like that. Appreciate everybody supporting that. Uh, once again, not not a podcast platform or anything, just on Twitter. Um able to come up after every game just talking to the fans uh allowed about eight people in the room at a time to talk so anyone that ever wants to come and enjoy the games and come praise the grizzlies and everything like that please fall through or just uh listen back on replay or anything like that so appreciate you candace uh having me on as well and just continue to do the good work that you're doing over here on the sports East Post. Much appreciated. Uh, definitely, guys, be sure to check out um those grind those uh grindhouse grizzly spaces. They are always uh they're some of the best spaces I've ever been in for sure. So if you're not regularly going after the games, go check them out. Make sure you do so. Um, make sure to be follow me on Twitter at Candace H901. You can follow my guy Isaac at Isaac underscore NBA. And you can follow my guy David at NBA D Wheel21. Uh, we'll be with you guys with another update in a few games. In the meantime, we appreciate your support. We couldn't do what we do uh, without you guys listening. Um, and that's it, guys. I'm out. We gone. Temple University is ranked among the top 50 public universities in the U.S. Through hands-on learning opportunities and world-class faculty, Temple students are prepared to soar in their careers. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu visit.